This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome back to another season of Driven by Data, the podcast. Powered by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. We are delighted to bring you season four of Driven by Data, the podcast. And our aim remains exactly the same, to bring you some of the most respected and recognized thought leadership figures from the world of data analytics to share their knowledge, ideas, use cases, and insights across how they've tackled some of the industry's most trending topics and challenges. All that's left to say is sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast season four. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Kira Moore, who is the Chief Data and Digital Officer at the Bank of Ireland. So Kira, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. No, the pleasure is uh, is all ours. So where we always start, Kira, is by asking our guests to give themselves a brief introduction into their background and I guess journey up until this point in time, if, uh, if you would. Absolutely. So um, I'm not going to tell you my age, um, but you'll probably be able to uh, work it out when I tell you how long I've been in financial services. So I've been in financial services broadly about 25 years in, in one way or another. Um, but actually, my background from an education point of view was strategy. So very broad business and strategy. And then when I moved into the workplace, I worked in a dealing room. So foreign exchange, interest rate derivatives, all that good stuff. Quite exciting times. I then moved into what I classify as chief of staff type roles for directors um, in banks. And at this stage, I was in Dublin. Um, and then I got an opportunity to go to London. So I took that opportunity and worked in the non, non-core portfolios in the banks. So it would have been around 2008 at the time. So um, there, was, there was a lot of challenges for, non- for financial services at that time. So I've spent the majority of my career either in financial services directly in banking, or I did work for a period in consulting as well. Um, And my two locations have been Republic of Ireland and more recently, well, 12 years, London. Nice, nice. Okay, cool. Quick question before we jump into the, the bulk of the topic. Do you think, and this is something I ask everybody that doesn't have a, you know, in quotation marks, traditional data and analytics and digital background Mm -hmm. do you think that kind of foundation in business and strategy and maybe a a non-stem type of education and upbringing has served you well in the role that you now do I do actually I think it served me really well because I think about the customer at the heart of everything rather than starting with the data and the coding that's required to get to the customer outcome so my view of things is probably back to front from from some people's perspectives. And I think what it has brought to life for me and what I keep saying to my team is when you tell a story, everyone should understand it. And at times in this particular field, we love a good acronym. We, We love to make things sound really complex. And don't get me wrong, I know there's complexities, but actually at the heart of everything, it's really, really quite simple what we do in data and analytics, right? It's about get the data 
to help understand and get the insight to help drive better decision making, make experiences better. Um, and ultimately, that probably leads you to better profitability. So actually, I think it's all in the story. So I, I always attack it from a story perspective rather than a let's start with what warehouse we're building and the whys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, cool. I guess before we jump into the storytelling piece, then, so I mean, an area that is uh so large and so often debated and um you know definitely of uh huge importance so i'm really looking forward to kind of uh seeing how you unpack all of that but before we do just tell us a little bit about for anybody that isn't familiar about the bank of ireland and i guess your purpose for being there you know in the role that you're in what are you tasked with achieving what's the what's the you know what's the point as it were yeah, absolutely. No problem. So Bank of Ireland Group, um, if I think about it from that perspective, we're a really old bank. So we have been in existence since 1783. So if my maths are correct, I think that's 240 years. So with that comes great history. But with that comes legacy infrastructure, as you can imagine, so particularly the data field. Um, and in Great Britain, we've been here since 1971. So I think we opened our first branch in Shepherd's Bush um, that year. So we are actually in existence uh, quite a long time. And particularly in the UK side of the business, which um, I'm involved in. I mean, our purpose is, and I'm, I'm going to use the language I use, right? We don't do mortgages, it's home buying. So if somebody wants to buy a home, we're there to help them do that. If they're there to buy a car, we're help them to fund the purchase of that car if they're there to save for a rainy day our objective is to help them save for that rainy day so and i'm specifically saying it in this way because so often you see do you want a mortgage who wants them nobody actually wants a mortgage right they want the home so um that, that's what we seek to do and then my role and my purpose in all of this is i'm hugely um, passionate about two pieces. One is customer obsession. So I have a great belief that if you start with understanding your customer base, what the customer does, how the customer feels, actually the rest will look after itself. So I'm hugely passionate about customer obsession, customer experience, making sure we deliver right. And underpinning all of that is data. If we don't have the data, how you can understand that, know that and deliver a better experience. So customer obsession is one of my big passions. And my second passion is really around developing people and the whole inclusion and diversity piece. So if I look at this particular sphere, data and analytics, it's predominantly male, um, you know, with engineering backgrounds and again, sweeping generalization. But, you know, you have a type of individual who tends to go into this field. What I'm delighted to see is I have huge diversity now on my team. So it started off being of one type. And now actually I'm talking about gender diversity here, ethnicity. I'm talking about cognitive diversity, different people thinking different ways. And actually you get a better team. So my purpose to develop people, bring inclusion in and make sure I deliver a really great experience for our customers. Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, I can tell by just the way that you frame how you speak about these things like you know we help people buy a home so putting them at the heart of mm -hmm. even the service offering right which is um, mm -hmm. really interesting so looking forward to unpacking the storytelling element and how that kind of customer obsession piece fits um fits together and uh, hopefully if we've got time maybe we can delve into the realms of how that kind of diversity of thought maybe influences 
how you appeal and, and kind of service that kind of customer obsession as, as it were um so let's let's jump in then so obviously we hear debates in this industry all the time around you know the notion of being data driven or enabled or informed or led or whatever buzzword we're using and those semantics get debated till the till the cows come home right um but you also then have people like yourself that are talking about being customer obsessed or customer focused or whatever the case may be i guess in your eyes and experience what's the connection there and you touched upon that briefly before but i guess can you simultaneously do both things at once or do you have to have a focus first i think they're inextricably linked so customer obsession again starts with do you understand your customer base the only way to understand who your customers actually are is by having the data to give you that insight what the customer does again the only way you're going to understand what they're doing is to get the insight so how are they going through their customer journey where are they dropping out are they dropping out what sort of experience have we given them there do we have the understanding of that and then how the customer feels. So this whole emotional feeling, how do customer, are they feeling angry or are they feeling sad? The only way you're going to get to any of that is by having your data in one place, understood and using the insight that comes. So if customer obsession is about understanding, you know, the who, what they do, how they feel, if you don't have the data, how are you going to do that? Actually, what you're going to do is make a lot of assumptions. And that happens a lot, right? Mm -hmm. Wouldn't the customer love that new thing that we're building? And guess what? It's not a success. Why is that? Have we understood who the customer is? Have we asked them, is that something they would like? Do we have the data to back that up? Do we know whether they're going to feel happy, sad, or otherwise? Just because we think something should be online doesn't necessarily mean they believe it should be. They're going to feel sad, angry or otherwise. So I think the two are inextricably linked, albeit I'm going to say it. You've got to start with the data, right? I think the vision is to be customer obsessed. But if you actually start by saying, you know, in order to achieve that, the things we need to do are and look, it depends how far you are in the journey. Some people are, you know, with legacy uh, infrastructure, et cetera, you're going back to the basics of building data stores. And some people are saying, well, actually, I want to accelerate my journey and using cloud technology. So there is a huge difference across the spectrum on where people are in that journey. But I think once you are building it up, and you are getting rid of legacy, what you will do is you will end up heading towards the direction of customer obsession. So always have that as your own goal. It's, and then the, how we get there is that actually it depends on how progressed you are or not and what you need to do as a consequence. 100%. So that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, the customer obsession then in what you're saying is is always the North Star, right? It's yes. just the, the data-driven piece is what allows you to, to do that well as opposed to doing that on 100%. assumption because you can be obsessed with your customers but get it drastically wrong right so there's it's the same thing 100 100 what it actually helps you to do is it grounds you in evidence data driven insight and evidence so you can use your proof point to know that you're doing the right thing i think that's what data gives you it gives you that fact-based evidence and actually sometimes that's why i think people find it difficult because customer obsession is lots of it's very touchy-feely subject so imagine telling somebody in data who's very logical, generally, who likes facts, who likes evidence, et cetera, 
to start understanding if a customer is feeling sad, angry, or otherwise, they sometimes they look to you and go, what is she <laughs> thinking, right? What is she thinking? But actually, if you unpack that a little bit, they get it. So if you, you say to them, how do you feel if you get that experience? I feel really angry. Exactly, if you're really angry. So actually, if you, you know, just trying to um, get them more logical, to feel a little bit more on the emotional side of the feeling as we go through a journey or an experience, um, I think can really help. But that requires cultural change. Mm-hmm. That's not an overnight thing. I think that's a continual thing that takes time to do. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Absolutely. Um, I guess in terms of any tangibles, then obviously, we've just grounded there that, you know, understanding the customer's wants and needs is imperative mm-hmm. if you're going to do this whole customer obsession thing properly and, and do it well. I guess, mm-hmm. how does that then link with what you have to do as a data analytics capability in terms of what's required to actually serve those needs mm-hmm. to be customer obsessed? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the first thing I would say is it's great being customer obsessed, but if you don't protect the data you have, let's start there actually, right? So the minimum expectation of a customer is that you're going to have the data protected and used in a way that they want you to utilize or not utilize it as the case may be. So that's a major thing from my perspective, making sure whatever we are doing, we're doing it in a way that protects the data that our customers have. And look, in recent years, you've seen across lots of industries, data protection breaches, data privacy breaches. And once you lose that trust from a customer, you're never going to get it back. So actually, from my perspective, start at first principles. Can we please make sure our data that we have is safe, is managed safely, the quality of the data is right, the availability of it is there, and then it's utilized in a way that our customers have given consent for us to utilize it. And then on the back of that, using that insight to help all our different business areas, A, understand our customers and then communicate with them in a way that they have told us they would like to be communicated. So I think there's the, call it the hygiene factors, get, get the you know first principles, make sure things are safe make sure where we utilize them we absolutely can stand over the fact that we're doing it in a safe way making sure that if our customers were to see us use their data they would be happy that we were utilizing in a way that meets their needs and what they have asked us to do so i think there's a big thing on data management and data quality and sometimes that's not the exciting stuff because people like to give you dashboards and look what we can do and it's nice and shiny And I'm saying, I want the nice and shiny, but only, only making sure that the data in that is is safe and we can do it in a way that our customers trust us. Once trust is gone with a customer, it's very hard to restore that. So I think a big focus on that data management perspective. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Makes makes sense. You talked uh, a few times here about, you know, understanding how the customer feels, you know, whether what makes mm-hmm. them sad mm-hmm. or angry or happy or whatever mm-hmm. the case may be. How, how internally do you kind of what are the mechanisms that you might use to measure something like mm-hmm. that? Because it's very, I guess, very abstract, right? It's uh, mm-hmm. It is. It is very abstract. And we've only done it recently, actually. So we've been starting to Again, it's a cultural journey, but if we don't have customer insights, and I don't mean, by the way, how long it takes for us to answer a call in a contact center, 
I mean, that's not insight. That, that's an operational metric, right? What metrics will tell us that we're doing right by our customers? So we've been building these customer dashboards. So, for example, in home buying, right, do we have a dashboard that says, here's the here's the comments of our, the actual verbatim comments that our customers are telling us. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're getting it into a dashboard. We're getting, and the reason we're getting um, the emotion score is we've used its basic AI capability, but we wouldn't have been able to do that before, but now we've data in the right place, we're able to. So actually, instead of sending five of my team off to analyze for each of our different, whether it's home buying or saving, et cetera, I'm saying to them, no, let's use this AI capability to understand the comments. And what it does is it gives you what we call an adore score, right? And that basically tells you how angry, sad, or happy, whatever it is, what the emotion is. So it's an emotion score we're getting. Mm-hmm. Again, it's, that's a cultural shift, right? Imagine telling somebody you're going to get an emotional score. People feel <laughs> a little bit strange by that. But actually what that capability does is 1,000 verbatim comments from our customers can be analyzed in 60 seconds. And actually what my team can now do is First of all, they're more engaged. How annoying must it be to look through all the comment? You can imagine, right? Mm. Now they're they're delighted. They're saying, now we can make changes as a consequence of the insight that is being generated. So we're not doing the do. We're now understanding it. And then what they do is say, what further data points do we need to understand this either better or change it? And then test it with our customers if we're going to make change. So that emotion score is basic AI capability that's in the market. If people don't have it, go get it. It's called an Adore score. It's not that complicated to go Google to find it. It's worth it because you will get that emotional score. And it, as I said, it will just take the heavy lift of your team away. And it'll focus them on doing things that matter most for them, keep them engaged. And guess what? deliver a better experience quicker for our customers as well mm, yeah absolutely i mean it's, it's interesting right because we talk about the the notion of value and the whole purpose of a mm-hmm. data analytics mm-hmm. team even mm-hmm. existing is to deliver value to the business mm-hmm. and i guess what you described there is almost uh, quicker time to action right which is okay. what a, a lot of people kind of miss you know a lot of great things get built and analysis mm-hmm. gets done and insights gets presented but then maybe nothing happens with that but what you described there is okay we've taken all of the manual task here away and now mm-hmm. our data analytics team can see this they can make changes action can be taken instantly and we can mm-hmm. rectify or improve or you know and, and, and then move on which is 100 and actually speaking on value and again this is something that i don't think comes naturally to people in this field there's huge benefits in this where where do we generate value we need to quantify it. So if 1,000 comments can be analyzed in 60 seconds and it ordinarily would have taken two people over the course of two days to do that, that's a that's a cost saving of X amount. Or it's a capacity generation to place towards customer experience of Y. And actually trying to get people to quantify that because it is really difficult. So you generally win in this area when you say things are on fire it mitigates risks right that's a big you know oh my god there's risks we need to get rid of them so we'll give you some money to do that but people can't quite see the value um and i think it's up to us in this field to be able to quantify 
that value. Whether that's a, if you're in financial services, I mean, a regulatory fine is is pretty large. Um, we don't want to, we want to ensure that that doesn't happen from a risk perspective. From a cost perspective, actually being able to use capability that will help us deliver more efficiently will be a cost saving. Um, income generation, the more we understand our customers, the more we can put more customers through, whether it's our home buying area, our lending area, or our savings area. So I I think it's on us as data leaders to reframe our narrative. So again, stop talking about the architecture, people, that there is a place for that. But I don't think that's what buys people's attention. What buys people's attention is quantifying what is in it for them and will it help them deliver either easier, better, you know, colleague engagement goes up, customer experience goes up and profitability goes up. Yeah, 100%. I think um, I'd kind of toyed with this and I, I don't know whether it's because, you know, I own my own business. I went to mm-hmm. to university and did an MBA. So I think about these things quite quite commercially right and um there was i was thinking about the almost like the discrepancy between what tends to happen in most organizations from a data analytics perspective almost like what the data and analytics team view as value and what a business mm-hmm. and the ceo and the board and the exco mm-hmm. and everything else what they view as, as value and someone came on the podcast mm-hmm. in the last season basically kind of framed it as you know data teams look at things in data use cases not mm-hmm. business use cases, right? Which is a really interesting yeah. way to to look at it and quite, you know, articulates quite well. But I guess, you know, in a very regulated environment like you sit in, obviously risk mm-hmm. will always get attention, right? Because that's the last thing that anybody mm-hmm. wants. But I've spoken to many people, right? And as you talked about before, there's a whole host of things that are perceived as value and it depends on the context of the organization. Different stakeholders within the business look at things and in terms of what is valuable mm-hmm. to, to them as different. But ultimately... That being customer obsessed and customer, um, you know, customer focused, it's kind of like, well, but why? Why do we do that? Why do we want our customers to be happier? Right? It's because they will stay longer, they'll buy more, they'll refer more yeah. people, which ultimately drives profits or revenues or sales or whatever you want to call it, however it's measured mm-hmm. up. Right? So it's a, it's a really interesting landscape. I guess how have you gone about that whole definition of what value means within the context of your business? Because I find that's an area that many data leaders are kind of grappling with at the minute in terms of everyone talks about value, but within the context of this business, what does that actually mean to us as a data analytics capability to serve back to that? It's really difficult. Um, Really difficult. Anybody who's going through, has been through, or is about to go through this, this isn't an easy journey because, again, it does depend where you are and how far advanced you are. So it depends on what you're trying to fix or build. Um, And so there are different, there's a different spectrum. So what I would say to people, particularly in legacy places, Generally, if you are in a legacy, whether it's a bank or otherwise, it really makes no difference, right? If you are somewhere where you don't have a data capability, asking people to spend millions to build something that they won't see the benefit for for a minimum of potentially two years, right, is a really hard sell. Um, And the way in which I went about it was said, yeah, it is a hard sell. and 
if you don't build the foundations of a house, you're never going to be able to move into the house, put your sofa in, the curtains up and your wallpaper in. So you're asking me to deliver value, but I'm telling you the hygiene factors, the foundations need to go in first. What we decided to do is do two things at once. It was never going to be enough to just build foundations. So actually what we said was we were going to deliver some value as we went and actually do small things that gets A, people excited, B, sees that actually this thing is real and there will be delivery from this and actually can start to see the benefits. And it was really, really slow. But we took one small use case. We love a good use case. Picked a use case and we said, right, as we build the foundations, so we'll get our funding for that. So we got a bare minimum funding. We said, let's do something that will help people understand what we are trying to do. And we chose something in our home buying area to demonstrate the power of data and analytics. And back to our earlier point of value, how much more value could be driven as a consequence of having this capability? And once we did that, people hooked in. Now, when I say people, I mean, we're talking twos and threes, right? Not hundreds and thousands. (laughs) And but it, and it's a slow journey. This is like when I referenced culture earlier. This is a you have to keep the drumbeat of this. So let's tell the story consistently, show, deliver small things often. And in the background, you're continuously building this, these foundations. Um, and only by doing that, I would say that we secured. So we secured some funding for building the foundations by doing that. The understanding by the time I came around for a second round of funding, they got us more. Didn't fully get it, though. Didn't fully get it. Still didn't want to spend money. Still a bit dubious, right? Still a bit dubious because this stuff isn't built overnight. Um, and I'm going to be honest with you. I did err on the this, this, this is a risk factor, right? I felt at the early stages saying there was risks here was an easier way to get funding than saying there's huge value where I instinctively knew we could double, triple volumes, incomes, you know, reduce costs, create more efficiencies, do all that sort of stuff. So that's how I started. And over time, I'd say over an 18-month period, that drumbeat of communications, the drumbeat of little and often, little and often, delivery, little and often, people see it, and then suddenly you get a bit of momentum. And I always say to my team, the best recognition is people outside our area telling others about the things we've done for them. But do me a favor, don't promise and then don't deliver. Mm-hmm. So you need to set expectations and deliver. So I think there's a, in terms of the story, depends where you are, but I think if you can, the building foundations won't excite anybody and actually you're not likely to get a second round of funding. So you're going to have to demonstrate value as you go, little and often. And I think over time, there will be a shift. And I know that for myself in the last 12 months, it's been the easiest it's ever been, actually, because people have seen the value. And our challenge now is people are pulling from us. So I used to say, let's push ourselves out there. And our, you know, people say, no, no, don't come in. No, no, I don't want you. Don't need you. Don't need you. And we say, no, no, let, let us show you. Whereas now our biggest challenge is we have a backlog as long as my arm huge because people see the value they're knocking on our door and the more that knock on the door and the more that you create the transparency people start to see and get it and then they say well we need it they're shouting on your behalf 
So if you're early stages of this, don't give up. It's going to be a tough journey for the 12 to 18 months that you start this. After 18 months, you continuously start to deliver. It does get easier. So mm-hmm. stick with it because it's worth it. And when you come out the other side of it, it is um, it's absolutely brilliant. When you see people utilize what you're producing, it's brilliant. When you have people knocking on your door and asking for more and actually they're saying what analytics they need, they're actually being really quite specific now. So they get it. Hmm. So stories, this is against back to storytelling. You need to sell the story and in a way that people understand and the business gets. Yeah, 100%. So I'm looking forward to delving into a little bit about how you unpacked that storytelling or selling the story to drive that cultural change and and ultimately adoption is is what you're talking about there. Um, One question before we move to that then, how did you prioritize which of those little and often cases need to come first? You talked about framing this as risk to the business to get funding, you know, so that allowed you to build the foundations whilst you added some incremental value. But I guess for anyone listening out there who's thinking, well, where do we start is was there a process that you followed to understand okay this is the thing that you know we can probably get some value from and show a decent you know return as it were yeah actually we went after one of our biggest areas which is home buying so and also one of the areas that were really skeptical and they were right to be skeptical i'm going to be honest they were right to be skeptical because up until that point they hadn't seen anything so um we said right let's Let's go for the one that's the biggest skeptic and let's look at one of their customer journeys that's really important to us and is really important to our customers. And so we deliberately went after that because we felt that if we could demonstrate through that journey and through those people, you know what, we would probably break the rest of the mold very, very quickly. And the only challenge is we went big. So there's learnings in this too, right? So we actually decided to go really, really big on us. And what we couldn't, what well, we showed the art of the possible. And I guess my caution to everybody here is showing the art of the possible is wonderful. But then you do create an excitement around it. And then when you tell them, actually, though, I can't quite deliver all of that for you until probably ugh, another two years. But when when the two years are up, I'm going to be able to do it. That's a really bad story to tell. So actually, we we put it out as the art of the possible. And we said, this is what can you see the power of us? So we demonstrated the power. But be cautious. So even though it was art of possible, people hook into, I've just seen it and I want it now. <laughs> so I think my, my, my caution would be, do show up because you need to show the capability and what you can do. Be really careful in the framing of it. So that was an art of possible. And then we actually went after things we could actually deliver, small and incremental wins. Um, and that's gained us traction over time. So keep that vision. Vision's good. Art of possible's good. But be really careful in your storytelling around that. <laughs> Otherwise you'll lead others to a huge disappointment and you don't want that yeah kind of setting yourself up to fall off the cliff there yeah. right you know like look this yeah. is all the great things we could do oh but we mm-hmm. actually can't <laughs> sorry yeah. um yeah. so um so i think everyone obviously listening to this will understand the notion of storytelling and you've explained it um mm-hmm. perfectly in terms of the journey that you went on to tell that i guess 
facilitating that storytelling then was there any mechanisms that you were using internally was that you know you running around the business schmoozing the execs and the people using mm -hmm. the tools or was it was there more formal communication lines let's say mm -hmm. so the first thing i said to everybody was i don't want to hear about the tools i don't want to hear about what they're called i want to hear so we're going to reframe everything so my team they they laugh because i'd say it's an acronym and i know some of them went i don't think she understands what data is and i'm like no 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 i do understand it. <laughs> the way you're framing it means no one else is going to so actually they, I, I used to be a big bugbear because um i can't continuously say they don't get it they don't get it so in with my team what i tried to explain to them was if your neighbor next door doesn't get it guess what it's not the right story so when you're presenting, whether it's to me, to your colleagues, it doesn't really matter who, if they don't get us, you've lost your battle, right? So stop trying to talk about all the things that you want to talk about in the tooling, right? I said, I get it. I do. I get it. It's what it gives you. So that was the very first thing. I spent a lot of my time out in the business. So I would say I went on a massive it was a continuous storytell so with my peers on the exact table with my own team out in the business i made sure we did communications out to the bit this is what we're up to this is what you see um here's a video a snapshot in 60 seconds how good does this look so use different channels of communication be out in the business actually be really annoying Drumby, 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 right? What is it? You say, if you say something, say it three times and it finally sinks in. Well, I'd say I spent the majority of 12 months out in business and believing it. This is going to happen. This is what we're going to get. This is what it means for you, creating an excitement around it. And then the next thing was creating a team, a management team behind that, creating the team, my wider team behind that. And suddenly it starts to filter through. The language starts to change. And once the language starts to change, people get it. So um, I went, basically, the only thing I'd say is it's a communications thing. Speak in the language of the people. Same when I worked in a dealing room. Who sold more? The person who talked about how complex the derivatives were or the people who said, actually, all you really need to know is. I know exactly who sold more. So I, I think nothing is too complex. It's simplifying it and making the um, the narrative digestible. And I also think this is where me being in this role has helped. So my background isn't data and analytics. Um, and it isn't digital. I have digital as well. It isn't that. But it doesn't need to be. So if, if I don't get it from a customer obsession lens, which I'm obsessed with, well, then why does it matter? So I'll always hone in on the speak the language of the people, look towards your end goal, and how does this resonate with people? So communications is a just a big, big thing for me. Always has been, actually. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that brings benefits sometimes, not always, right? Not always, but sometimes if you have this more technical background, and not by not being deliberate in it, but you will naturally fall back into the techie space. Um, so, and actually one of the things that I've seen the team do, and we had a meeting yesterday, they presented their roadmap for next year. So we love a good roadmap. What are you going to do? Show us the capabilities <laughs> we're putting in. And I said to them, it's really important that we see your capabilities. Do me a favor. Find a visual way of showing 
what it actually will give, what benefit it will give, what value it will drive, so that when you present this, the people around the table, the techies love it because you got a bit of tech, right? But you've got the language of the people. You've got both in one place, and suddenly you're now capturing everybody, and it resonates, and it did resonate with people. So storytelling, communication, simple, keep it simple. Yeah, 100%. I think the... I think that bit around you kind of challenging your team to talk the language of the business is really powerful because obviously in our line of work, um, you know, I've built hundreds, probably bordering on thousands of data analytics teams over the last 13 odd years, right? And I think what I've what I always stand by is that the people that kind of understand that this is about business and adding value and outcomes and benefits. Mm-hmm in a commercial business sense are the people that go the furthest fastest right so i've and i always use the same example uh i I built a data science team of of 10 people for an organization and the person that was the least qualified it was the only one that didn't have a phd um etc 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 was the purpose that ended up managing that team after about nine months because he was the Mm -hmm. best going to the business translating everything into common language bringing it back and i think often maybe one of the challenges we face as an industry is that the data leader can be guilty of kind of standing in the way of their team like you know okay i'll be the translator you tell me and then i'll go and tell somebody else which then doesn't allow their team to develop that kind of skill and understanding that we shouldn't be talking about dashboards or models Mm -hmm. or insight we should be talking about the business language so i think that's a really powerful message that you know a lot of people can take away from this actually just because they are techies doesn't mean that you can give them the opportunity to start to learn and develop in you know, in that kind of com- mm-hmm. com- uh, communication space, right? Which is is, is interesting. Yeah. Did, um, did you did you use kind of any specific channels for that, or you know, uh, have you built a comms team within data analytics, or did you use the company comms team to support the you know the, the pushing of that message, as it were? All of the above, right. and actually, I have um, have somebody on my team with they're working on something for me at the moment on the digital side is doing animations, right? So I'm a great believer and use many different types. And I'm a visual person. I find the written word really boring. So when somebody sends me an email, you know, I'm going, oh, if, if it's like, if it's past five lines, I kind of um, lose interest, right? But if somebody sends me something where I can watch it in 10, 15 seconds, it's really powerful. And actually, again, I'm no psychologist, but it has been proven that you're, you will store that in a much better way because visual images store better in the brain. So um, for me, get, getting the communication, so we have a central communications team, but actually I did a, I pushed a lot of it myself because I really wanted to be hands-on on this because this isn't easy. So I needed to involve people in it. So, I mean, communications people will help you speak in a language, but actually they won't know the technical. The technical people will naturally frame it in the language of the techie. So actually, I'd say I nearly played a translator role for a very short period. And I would say for a very short period. And over time, doing that translator, I'm pushing my team to think differently. I'm actually educating the comms people around what we were trying to do. Suddenly, it all started to come together. So you're you're now developing your team to speak in a different language, I guess. Um and then we use everything from, as I said, I've a couple of people on the digital team. They love doing a good animation. Do an animation. Brilliant. 
Um, but don't, again, don't talk about the tooling. Talk about the, our latest thing is, you know, we have Bob and Barbara who are our customers. How do they feel when they go through a journey? And <laughs> Tim's our colleague. How does that feel for him? And what we do, how that's creating a different emotion for him. So again, it's a very different way of storytelling, right? Um, so for communication, if you don't have people who are strong communications, you need to get one. If you are leading in this area, you need to take a hands-on approach to this for at least 12 months, would be my view. And while you're doing that, upskill your own team, because guess what? They're really capable. I've seen more people who started off speaking the language of the techie who are so brilliant now at being able to speak the language of the business. And actually, I can put them into a room. And if you put the business people with the technical people into a room, we're getting a really great outcome because they're all speaking a common language. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it's a mixture of, you know, yes, make sure you have communications people, but I hate to tell you, you need to get hands-on. Uh, if this means something to you, be hands-on in this and make sure it actually hits the mark. And also, guess what? Ask people. Yeah. Don't assume it, it resonates. Ask, did that work for you? Did that not work for you? Mm. Um, so actually yeah. make no assumptions. Yeah, 100%. It was it's interesting. Um, I was speaking to the chief data officer of a major uh, insurance firm the other day, and um, her point of view on this was that um, she kind of disliked the whole notion of the translator because she was like, it's almost like creating a misconception that the people within mm -hmm. our teams who are technical mm -hmm. can't talk. And right. that isn't the case. It's just often they're not given the opportunity to or they're not developed to do so, right? Which is a, a really interesting and probably very relevant point point you know um there's almost this misconception that oh well they code so we can't let them into the room to but, tell a story right which isn't isn't true it absolutely isn't totally agree absolutely agree people i have seen people who are the most technical people start to use supermarket analogies to explain how they build their warehouses <laughs> and, we, and it's it's amazing and they know me so well by now so when they start to talk about it in that way my face lights up because two years ago three years ago that's not where they were yeah. but you have to invest in your people so you're absolutely right i believe actually most people are capable people and you can some will look communications is one of these things right it doesn't mean you have to be absolutely brilliant at it, but actually being able to be better at it and understand the why you're trying to do it differently is really important. So, yes, invest in your team. And also, I dare say, bring some people who maybe there's a capability gap, plug that gap. Because if you bring a couple of people in who perhaps have that more naturally, it'll bring people along as well. So develop that capability i agree you absolutely can do that and that removes that need for a translator role for sure yeah 100 yeah, percent um conscious of of time kira but i guess wanted to finish on a, a couple of things so i've heard you talk previously about the the kind of notion of creating more capacity to focus on things that are maybe more engaging for for the business and for your team and, and things like that. just give us a very kind of uh, high level synopsis of of that notion and i guess you know how you make that work in reality and what what you see the benefits to be okay so again i i tend to put myself in my colleagues shoes right how soul destroying must it be and i'm gonna go back to the, the previous example i used right so I had a team of people who are customer insight people, I call them. And actually, their capability is around being able to digest what that insight is, being able to look at customer journeys, 
understand actually how we overlay emotion, how we make changes on the back of it, all really important things, which is where your benefits come. Because if you do things the way our customers are expecting them, you're going to get a better, you know, um, experience, value, benefits, etc. So that team were, I mean, it was great. We didn't have insight before and then we had it brilliant. But we've got four people doing this continuously month on month. So this is a monthly dashboard. Monthly, we're doing this. So how sold a story must it be to gather all of this, put it all together, come up with, and again, loads of assumptions around this. So somebody is making an assumption that that's the one that hits the dashboard. There's no science to it. No, no, nothing behind this says, actually, can we stand over this? And if, again, from a data perspective and data people, we kind of like a good fact, you know, good proof point. And actually, you're going, this is flawed. So my view on all of that was that's just ridiculous. And by using a, again, small, little and often, don't do big bang. Okay, let's do a proof of concept on this capability that we have. Oh, yeah, it's basic AI. Great. Utilize it. Go for it. Let's see what it does. So this is back to the thousand comments in 60 seconds thing, right? Mm. And now, now what you have is it's creating, um, first of all, people are happier, always helpful in a team, right? Which means people will be more engaged. It means it's quicker to get the insight out to the business, which is what they're looking for. Then the team who were looking at all this and pulling this together are now diverted to actually making improvements on our customer journeys or the processes underpinning those journeys. So we're creating capacity. We're pivoting them towards more interesting things to do. Um, and we're just going to continue to do that. So, and again, little and often. So I see people so often say, we're going to do this big thing and it's going to deliver in 12, 18 months and it's going to look great and shiny. And actually, either it doesn't A, deliver, B, runs out of money, or C, something else. My big thing is, if you're trying to demonstrate capacity, try and get little pieces of capability where you can in pockets. So again, you're continuously building these foundations, or or, or it becomes less foundational and you're maturing your data capability. At the same time, think about, there's lots of capability out in the market. Go out into the market, understand what's out there, understand what your pain points are in your team, utilize proof of concept. What's the worst that can happen? Doesn't guess what? Actually, it didn't really work, but we tried it. So that's really good. Test and this whole idea of test and learn mm -hmm. or fail fast, right? So actually test and learn. So at the same time, so you're creating the capacity, you're doing all this. So that's an example, but I think there's more to it than just the capacity piece. Culture, 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 right? This culture of testing and learning, trying new capabilities. Does it give the desired outcome? It does. Great. We'll roll it out broader. So we started small. People are happy. Colleagues are more engaged by it. Customers should get a better experience because we're now spending more time thinking about what they actually want and delivering. Um, and you, again, you build on it. So there's a theme here. Have you noticed? It's like little and often, little and often. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to have to change the title, I think. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> um, no, perfect. Well, Kira, look, thank you so much for spending time with us this morning and uh, to come on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you and uh, so much uh, so much good stuff and, and insights in here for people to, to take away. So, yeah, thank you again and um, we look forward to speaking with you soon. Thank you so much. Lovely to speak with you. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. 
I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, please follow our Bishon Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these two. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week. 